When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel with Neil Fitzmorris, bringing you all the big news and even bigger views on Liverpool FC. Well, hello there. Ho, ho, ho. We're nearly there anyway. We're getting into that month, aren't we? Should have a little bit of George Michael playing in the background or something. Um, or Mariah Carey. Uh, it is almost Christmas and welcome to Poetry in Motion once again. Thank you for for downloading this and if you're listening to this wherever you listen to this once again really really appreciate you listening and giving your time up to uh to have a little listen to us chat about all things liverpool football club and of course all the other umbrella uh podcasts as well the blood red podcasts uh Alley la rouge etc uh we are in the midst of a world cup we will be talking about that but obviously our main focus as always will be the um the ongoings the goings on uh, behind uh, the scenes and on the pitch at Liverpool Football Club. I'm joined by Matt Addison. How are you, Matt? Yeah, really good, mate. Really good. Um, not been on the uh, the podcast for a while, so I thought I'd jump back in and, and have a chat and yeah, plenty of, of good stuff to get into, I'm sure. Glad to offer you off the bench. You've come off the bench like a Japanese striker to just, uh, like <laughs> Dohan, to rifle a few in the top corner. Also with us is uh, Richie Garnett. Hello, Richie. You OK, pal? I'm not too bad, mate. I'm just in that sort of uh, dilemma series where you're deciding whether to stick the heating on or not. Or, and if you do, do you whack it on for 10 minutes? And what if you forget about it? It's, uh, yeah, troubling times. You know, I mean, things that a couple of years ago we probably wouldn't have thought would have taken up that much time. I'm I'm currently huddled over the heater. Um, <laughs> and um, and I might even I might even turn it on. I'm not sure yet. Um, <laughs> But it is getting very, very cold. People out there, and I uh, hope you're keeping warm and keeping healthy and keeping safe. Let's try and warm you up with a bit of LFC talk, shall we? Um, obviously, we're in this kind of stagnant, kind of, you know, hiated hernia period where uh, we are watching the World Cup, enjoying the World Cup. I mean, Qatar PR could not have planned yesterday's events uh, any better. Um, maybe we'll have a little chat about goal line technology in a minute and uh, we all we all fell foul of that, didn't we? We were eleven meters, eleven millimeters short of crossing the line uh, in a season when we uh, lost the, the league to a, by a point to City. So we kind of know how this feels a little bit on the other side of it. Um, Matt, you've been joining the uh, uh, World Cup so far, mate. And what it's been throwing up last night. If you're a German Germany fan, you would not want to go out in a situation like that, would you? But it's um, it, it, it was. By the letter of the law, the, uh, the the actual shape of the ball wasn't over the line, but boy, it was a talking point, wasn't it? Yeah, it uh, depends which angle you look at it, isn't it? There's, there's been lots of, of chat about that things, that sort of stuff. I think they they got it right, didn't they? There's there's been a, a good few moments like that, hasn't there? Not just the, the last couple of days, but all the way through the tournament. Really, there's been uh, been a number of, of goals that have stood out, and a number of, of different moments. Lesser teams winning, a couple of big teams have, have gone out already. Obviously, as we record this, we're still waiting to see whether Uruguay and Darwin Nunez can get through and, and that big game with, with Ghana, which I think by the time people are listening to this, they'll know the, the outcome of that. I think that'll be be a tasty one for us. And 
yeah, there's there's just been a number of, of things really. I think listen, it, it's not the same as club football. I'd much rather, you know, it was a normal December where Liverpool were playing every couple of days and, and we could talk about that. But it has been it's been enjoyable in moments. But uh, yeah, I have to be honest, I, I'm I'll be quite glad when it's over and we can get back to uh, to the proper stuff. Well, that's the thing, though, Rich, isn't it? It's the situation Liverpool are in when we get back to that stuff because <clears throat> you know, pre World Cup, we were just um, our main concerns were getting our players to it, the players that we had over there, the Trents and the Canates and the uh, Nuneses, getting them back in shape and then getting the other ones to join them, you know, the uh, Jotters and the Diazes and and forming what would be close to our first team and, uh, and a team that's going to push on because, you know, it hasn't been the best opening to a season um, for, for a while for, for Liverpool. But then, of course, we had the, um, the situation at board level and... Um, it's kind of thrown everything up in the air, Richie, hasn't it? I mean, we're not really sure. It's all very ambiguous. It's yet yeah, we are keen to um, explore the idea of completely selling the club, but we will uh, we will also entertain the idea of selling off shares and stuff. And it's all a little bit a bit vague. It came a bit from left field, uh, but because obviously everyone's talking at Liverpool level about you know investing in the club more and, and showing a bit more. Showing a bit more kind of uh, fight for 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 for, for honours, a bit more ambition. Um, now we're in a bit of disarray, mate, because we don't really know what's going on and who's interested and who isn't and what's going to be happening. Well, considering there's a World Cup on at the moment, uh, there's plenty to talk about with regards to Liverpool, isn't there? It's not like we've uh, disappeared into the background for four weeks. There seems to be some sort of new development every day. I always think that like Liverpool supporters generally have always been regarded as pretty uh, well-educated set of supporters when it comes to football. But now, now you've got to be a, a hedge fund expert uh, and and uh, know a bit about quantitative easing or uh, acquisitions and and basically uh, have some sort of finance degree to try and keep up with the changes that that, that are happening at the club. That, Pretty sure it's not the reason we all got uh, hooked on football in the first place and not on Liverpool. But that that's the reality of where we find ourselves in, in modern football now, don't we? It's like uh, who's got the biggest skyscraper. Um, but yeah, that, here we are. Um, there has been obviously a growing quota of supporters who've called for more investment in the side and, uh, and attempts to keep up with... Uh, Manchester City and obviously the, the growing threat of Newcastle United coming up on the rails. Um, and I suppose, especially from my perspective, obviously Liverpool have had money to spend. They've, they've, in my opinion, have been have been have had good owners who've been able to develop the club and put them on a sound financial footing uh, and, and combine that with a top class manager. And you've had a team that's been able to compete at the very top, uh, just at that tiny fraction behind Manchester City on, on more occasions than we would have liked, I suppose. But the bottom line is they've been able to compete. And all of a sudden, we've seen a situation now where they look less competitive. And it could be that the team needs to evolve. Uh, but it could also be that they're just not being invested enough. And we now find ourselves in this situation where, effectively, the, the owners are saying, we need more investment or we need someone to take it over. And, and we're at that point. That creates a level of uncertainty, and in business, no one really likes uncertainty, do they? But it's a, you know, I think we should just be relaxed about that in terms of 
you can't be at the top all the time. Things do change. Um, and if someone comes in and brings more investment, then we might be able to go out and buy those top players on a more consistent basis. Um, that, that, that will allow Liverpool to remain at the top of the tree. But what that looks like is obviously very much still up in the air. Um, I, I am personally, I've been nervous about uh, a total sale. And I suppose that comes down to the experience that we had with Hicks and Gillette, where you've seen a, a major changing of the guard in terms of the custodians, custodians of the club, uh, which has ended in disaster. And to that end, we're, we're fortunate that new owners came in and have been able to steady the ship and, and, then, and then build up a, a period of success and development of the ground as well. So letting go of that um, is something that I feel a bit uneasy about. And just in terms of if you get new owners in, whoever you're going to get in is obviously got to be billionaires. That's what we're talking about here now. Um, or, or, or happy to borrow billions, which might frighten you even more. Um, and the, the type of people that you're going to end, the, 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 the likelihood is they're not going to be died in the wall Liverpool supporters, are they? So their understanding of the club um, is, is questionable right from the off. So uh, taking a slightly cautious view, my kind of preference really was to hold on to the current owners, but with an arm of investment. Um, I, and what that would look like, I don't exactly know. It's more that's more to do with my fear of a new owner coming in and not knowing what they'll be about. But on the other hand, you can argue that if someone is going to invest billions of pounds in a football club, then they then they should have overall control of that club and, and probably would only settle for an outright acquisition. Um where, where we'll end up, I, I just don't know. At the moment, it looks like they're favouring the sort of the deal that I preferred, but um, that, that of course that doesn't mean that it will happen. So uncertain times and, and I don't know, for, for maybe someone who feels it was quite, felt quite uh, alarmed by what happened under the Hicks and Gillette era, the uncertainty around it does trouble me a bit. Yeah. You can only hope Matt, that there's, you can only hope that there isn't a, a repeat of the Hicks and Gillette because that, that was, that was a shambles. And you're right. I mean, as much as FSG can be accused of, of of lacking that ambition that takes us with City, it's only because of the money generated to City and to Newcastle to the world, and it, it, it's knowing that they are going to pull out of sight, um, and 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 the amount of effort and hard work it took to get to that level with City without the investment that they've had, nowhere near the investment that they've had, uh, isn't a blueprint for success all the time. So that's the problem. It's it's we we we've done incredibly well. We were very well backed. If you, you, you know, it's it's not that long ago that the Hicks and Gillette era were there, and they were doing their thing with the euros, hanging out the pockets and the dollars, and saying we're going to be we're going to be putting the, you know shoveling in the earth in whenever February of whatever year, and 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 of course it was just all a load of nonsense. FSG bought that club effectively for three hundred million quid, I think, at the time. It's now you know a four billion pound interest, but there has been a lot of investment by FSG. Um, they have invested in the club. They have steadied the ship. Absolutely right, Richie. And and, and we have a, a new stand going up as well now. Of course, there was no moved stadium plans. It was, it was decided to stay where we are and develop that. That's going really well. Um, so you can, you know, you, there is a strong argument for what Richie just said about about 
trying to attract finance, um, but uh, but having FSG still sort of steering the ship. There's also the relationship that they have with the Spirits of Shankly. We're very lucky as Liverpool fans supporting this club that we have people like the Spirits of Shankly uh, organisations who have have got at the top table with the owners and sat down and said, look, this is, we can advise you, you can advise us, but we are much better working together. And the FSG have seemed, seemed to, for the majority of the time, taken their advice on board. So there is that interesting, unique kind of thing, isn't there, where there is a closer relationship with the board uh, and the supporters association or the, you know, the, the Spurs of Shankly. And that might be something that a new owner might not want to be bothered with. Don't they? So I'm, 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 I'm tipping my hat definitely towards Richie's idea that just trying to interest, uh, to attract a higher investment to the plan we've already got in place is much more favourable just so we don't have too many chiefs. Yeah, 100%. I completely, completely agree with both of you. I think that's that's got to be the, the ideal way. I think I think the biggest thing that I would take from FSG's decision really is what you mentioned there about the, the Newcastle and, and Chelsea and Manchester City and all of these other clubs that they've got to compete with. I think there's probably a bit of a realisation that the model that they've got essentially sell to buy, you know, improve, get the Champions League money, spend that money, but but don't really spend much more than that. I think it's an admirable way of doing it. I think that should be the way that, that every football club is run in a, an ideal world is that you spend the money that you generate and, and that's kind of how you improve. But I just don't think that that's necessarily realistically possible now for the level that Liverpool need to be at. There's just probably too many teams there that have got pretty much unlimited funds. They can do what they want with possibly FSG have, have looked at it and thought that possibly they've taken Liverpool as, as far as they can. And, you know, if, if they can get new investment in, it, it does have to, to be the right investors. Obviously, the classic case, the, the Hicks and Gillette thing mm. is, is what Liverpool want to, to avoid. But I think I've got a fair bit of confidence that FSG wouldn't want to sell to the wrong person moving forwards and, and whether that's the wrong person in terms of running it wrongly, whether that's the wrong person in terms of possibly some of the morals that, you know, certain groups and, and organisations might have behind wanting to, to come into Liverpool. I think it, it's really important to Liverpool and I think they will know that it's really important to Liverpool that they get the right next buyer, whether it's a full sale, whether it's investment. If it's investment, it definitely will have to be the right buyer because they're still going to be here. They're going to have to work with these people. But whoever it is, however the, the sale happens, I think it will it will really have a, a knock-on effect, really, of, of their legacy and, and that kind of thing. And I know they, they, they're going to make you know, three, three and a half billion pound profit when they sell this club. Maybe that's the only thing that matters to them. But I do think there will be there will be a little bit of it where they, they see what they've done. They've seen all the hard work and all the progression where Liverpool were in 2010, where they are now. It would undo a lot of that that good work if they sold to the wrong owners. And so I, I'm fairly confident that when they go through this process, they, they won't just take the biggest offer. They won't just sell it to anyone. I do think there will be a real consideration of, of where Liverpool goes next, because like I say, it's it's so important to, to all of the fans, but I think that the kind of reputation that they leave behind from this era, I think will probably largely be determined by whoever comes in next. Yeah, absolutely. And of course they have invested over a billion they have invested money into the into the into the structure of the club and into the signings and into the the actual ground itself. So <clears throat> there is poetry in motion on the Blood Red Channel. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, they have invested over a billion. So they have invested money into the into the into the structure of the club and into the signings and into the the actual ground itself. So <clears throat> there is an investment there that they have. They have shown commitments, and we just have to hope that, the, as you said before, that the. I would imagine any kind of process is going to be a long and protracted one to make sure that the best deals is had by everyone. It's just that when you, it does get a little bit concerning, doesn't it? I mean, we had Michael Edwards leaving, who who was sort of the golden boy of transfers for a while there, wasn't he? And then we had this suddenly announcement that this sudden announcement that Michael Edwards was going to leave. But we had Julian Ward, who'd been sort of working closely with him for the last eighteen months, which I I, I wasn't privy to any of that, but but apparently he was. He was being groomed to be the the next Michael Edwards, and now just before the World Cup starts, it's announced that Julian Ward's off his pop as well. Um, so you kind of read that and think, you can't help but think, there's obviously conversations going on there where Julian Ward's thinking, well, this isn't the place for me to be now. This isn't the, these aren't the parameters I was given, and this isn't the blueprint that I was, this isn't the cloth that I was cut, you know what I mean? This isn't the, this isn't what I'm after, and, and I'm, I'm off my pop. Now there's talk of because of course, you know your scout system is is key to if you can't keep up with the big boys quite with the finances. The scout is the next best thing, isn't it? Because if you've got someone who can spot a player for half the price, um, which is let's face it, what we competed with Man City with with a lot of our players, um, you need the right person. There's talk of uh, Sven Mislintant or uh, Miss Mislintat. I don't know. God knows what his name is. Probably completely different. Than that. Uh, he was a um, he was the scout at Dortmund for ten years, I think, with 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 Klopp. So knows him very very well. But they've got to get this all in order, Richie, haven't they? Before we resume, I mean, little things like that have to be in place before we be fine. This World Cup will be over before you know it, and and then it's back to the business of uh, uh, the real business at hand, and 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 these things have to be embedded and put in place, don't they, surely? Um, I think the reality is that they probably won't be. Um, or, or you may we may find that people perform some of these roles on 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 interim basis. There have been a few sort of changes that have been going on. There seems to be more and more. I mean, I know the the club doctor um, is leaving, isn't he? I think he's still in the role, but that is yet to be replaced. Uh, and then Julian Ward announces he's leaving at the end of the season. And uh, I think one of the data analysts as well, quite quite a key guy, uh, is also going. Has been been credited with a lot of a lot of uh, good stuff done with Liverpool over the, the last few years. So, yeah, it's it's the, obviously you don't really get a, a proper feel for the real reasons behind that, um, and that and maybe we will get that in due course, and that will shed a little bit of light on things, but. Uh, one thing I would say, at least, at least these individuals aren't leaving with immediate effect. Uh, they have served a little bit of notice, and that does give give Liverpool a little bit of time um, to to try and sort that out. Whether whether that coincides with any sort of inside info on a possible sale or changing of the guards or whatever uh, down the line, because obviously any 
any sort of sale or even investment would, would require a period of due diligence. Um, and it, you know, then it's not just done overnight, is it? It's not like going down the shop and buying a football club from behind the counter. Uh, I'm sure that's probably happened uh, elsewhere, <laughs> but yeah, it's gonna whatever, whatever, whatever is uh, is done in terms of Liverpool and that and how they go forward. There's a lot of background work that 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 will need to be sorted out. I, I just hope that um, within that period they can just find the right people, whether you know whether they're costly or not costly, and 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 what. What has the club got within it? Is is there? Are, you know, obviously Julian Ward has come from within when he's come through the ranks. I think he's been at uh, Liverpool quite a long time, actually. Um, but are there other people that can that can step in and make make that process relatively seamless? Because although we talk, obviously we talk at length uh, about these different all kinds of things really in, in football now, but the, the average supporter probably doesn't want to uh, have to think too much about what's going on in the background do they they just want good players to come to the club represent the club well and 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 win football matches and and in turn trophies and and entertain people and um i suppose it doesn't really matter who you get in the background as long as they're still able to do that and and and, and offer an entertaining uh, uh product to people to, to watch uh, the guy at, at Dortmund i think i've seen something from um is it uh, Pettenberg, the Sky Germany uh, journalist, denying that it, that he would be coming to Liverpool? Um, you know, that's only his words, not 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 anyone else's. So I don't know how how true that is, but but yeah, just give us someone who who's got a good eye for a decent player and, and keep bringing them here. Yeah, and he spent a couple of years at Arsenal as well, didn't he? And then went back to Stuttgart, I think. But we'll uh, that's you're absolutely right, Matt. It is a case of that, and we've got enough to worry about as fans. Um, on the pitch sometimes, uh, let alone the the intricacies of, of 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 how the clubs are run in the background. The club doctor was an interesting one, though, wasn't it? Because I heard somebody saying it was a, it, it was attributed to the to the to the Liverpool's injuries and stuff like that. But I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know quite what the uh, the reason behind it was. But that's quite a, that is quite a big um, switch, isn't it? If you're getting maybe, a, maybe no one could get an appointment with him. Or they get a telephone conversation. He was just doing online stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Klopp, yeah, Klopp was told to ring one one one. It's a way, you know, if you're worried. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is a tricky one, isn't it? Though, because they're all part, they're all part of the uh, of the intricacies of the club, and and certainly club doctor is all about you know keeping everyone in shape. Liverpool have suffered um, more than their first first year of injuries before the season started and during it. So that's that that you would imagine that is a big uh, hole to fill, isn't it? Really, in uh, medical terms. Yeah, I think it's it's more it, it's just one of so many things to, to sort out at the moment. I think they've they've been without a, a club doctor or a, like a, a head doctor for for four or five months whilst they've searched for for the right person. But it's not like they've not got you know other medical team that the extensive staff that that work in Kirby. There's there's enough people there that I don't think that the injury situation is is anything to do with that. To be honest, but it is it is just one of a, a long list of things that they need to sort out. I mean. You know, we mentioned there, you know, the, the sporting director, Sven Mislintat links and, and all of that sort of thing. I'd, I'd be surprised if it was him, but there is, you know, a conversation to be had around what kind of person you want in that role. And obviously with the FSG sale that we've already talked about, I wonder whether 
you know, if, if FSG are to move on completely and, and sell it to somebody else, maybe we don't see a new sporting director for a good few months. Obviously, Julian Ward's got it until the end of the season anyway. But would, you know, would FSG appoint someone and then sell the club? I wonder whether they might have to, to wait for, for new owners to, to think about that sort of thing as well. I mean, the, the person that, that you get will depend basically the, the direction you want to go in. It'll depend how much money you've got moving forwards. It'll depend on, on so many things. It, it might be you know, one of those things they have to, to wait a little bit until the new ownership potentially is in place or, or whatever it might be. And that's why it's just another reason really why I think it would be much better if, if FSG were to stay and to get a new investor, you can then start to, to sort these these sorts of, of things out. But yeah, in, in terms of missing the for, for the sporting director, I'd be, I'd be surprised just because he's not particularly done well in, in either of his last two jobs. Arsenal suddenly have got a lot better when he's not been there. He's left Stuttgart. They're not particularly brilliant. I know he worked with Klopp at Dortmund, but uh, yeah, he's. Uh, I would suggest that possibly the interest in the Liverpool job is more from his end. He'd probably be quite keen on it, whether Liverpool are quite as keen on him as he is on them. I'm not too sure, but it will be interesting to see kind of which which way they go with it. There's lots of, of sporting director names out there. There's there's lots of, of links I'm sure are going to come over the next few weeks. But you know, the, the Liverpool sporting director job is is very, very different to, to how it is in, in other countries or at, at certain other clubs. You look at you know Dortmund's uh, sporting director or Bayern or any of the, the big clubs, Barcelona, they're always in the press. They're always in the media talking about transfers and contracts and answering loads of, of questions and, and being a bit more of a, a personality really where you know, at Liverpool, the, the one personality is Jurgen Klopp. Everyone else kind of works around him and, and he's the, the forward-facing, the, the media-facing one. Michael Edwards, Julian Ward, I imagine, you know, there'd be a, a decent number of, of Liverpool fans who've never never heard the voices of those two people. If they walk past them in the street, probably wouldn't know too much about them. I think that's probably the, uh, the way that you'd prefer in terms of Liverpool moving forwards. But... Yeah, it'd be interesting to see which way they go, but it, it's just another another thing to think about for, for Liverpool in a period which is already going to be uh, one of huge, huge change. And, and it's, let's face it, any position in Liverpool is an attractive proposition for any potential employee. You know, you'd want to go there, wouldn't you? You'd want to be part of a club. You'd want to be based in Kirby. It's got a Taco Bell, for God's sake. You know what I mean? It's it's <laughs> It's got everything you need. Um Let's talk about uh, a little bit back into the World Cup. Uh, Ghana are taking on Uruguay. Uh, and this is not without its first year of hor- horrific history. Um, Luis Suarez. It's been interesting to see Luis Suarez in, in, in this um, in this World Cup. Uh, and, a li- and a little bit sad, really, because he's putting on a bit of weight now. He's getting he's older and a lot of that electrifying pace has gone, hasn't it? And he seems to be... Seems to be just sort of wandering around a bit, bit off the pace at the moment. But um, of course, he is the he's the pantomime baddie in the whole proceedings today, isn't he? Because of course, uh, the last time these sides met, it was his uh, deliberate handball on the goal line that uh, led to um, uh, Ghana being knocked out of the group stages and um, uh, Uruguay moving forward. Uh, I heard him on the radio yesterday because because obviously uh, because this game's going on today. He's, People are saying, should he be apologising to Ghana for what he did? And I quite right, quite I quite agreed with his response, which was no. And I don't know anyone an apology. The bloke who missed the penalty. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. I'm pretty sure he didn't say bloke. Um, the bloke who missed the penalty. <laughs> should be, hey, bloco, bloco, el, el bloco. Um, <laughs> you know, he's the guy who should be apologising. He's the one who missed the pen. And 
I've kind of felt for him a little bit. He's been carrying that for years, hasn't he? You know, I, I don't suppose he's been anywhere near Ghana in the last few years and, and, and intends to, but, um, you know, it was done when he got sent off. He put, it's, it happens all the time. Deliberate handball happens all the time. And uh, and and all these years later, they're saying, oh, why haven't you apologised yet? It's a bit ridiculous, isn't it, Richie? Poetry in Motion on the Blood Red Channel. Well, Luis Suarez and controversy go hand in hand, don't we? That that's just how it is. That's 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 the Luis Suarez story. And and if you picked out his top five highlights about the, his uh, goalkeeping exploits for Uruguay, uh, would be right up there, wouldn't they? He doesn't owe Garner an apology. Um, he's deployed dark arts in a match, and it's paid off for him, um, whether you like it or not. And clearly, he liked it the way he celebrated in the tunnel. Uh, after that penalty was was famously missed, but uh, um, as as he rightly points to that, if, he, if if he'd apologised, perhaps if he'd injured someone or I don't know, bitten someone on the shoulder or something, um, yeah, then then there's a reason to uh, uh, um, to show your remorse. But he's, I don't think he's got any remorse about that moment whatsoever. He was probably hailed a hero in Uruguay after it. Uh, he seemed pretty pleased after the game. Uh, but but of course, what that does now it adds a real good twist of needle into this game this afternoon. Uh, well, I say this afternoon at the point of recording, should say uh, it may have already taken place by the time you're listening to it. Uh, but the Ghanaians are going to be bang up for it, aren't they? And um, I, I think if, if if it was me, I'd probably start Suarez um, because knowing that he'd be bang up for this sort of this is exactly the type of uh, environment that that he thrives in isn't it that, that that's that's what he's all about that's why despite his faults he was loved at liverpool because of his um sheer dogged will to win wasn't it i don't think i always said when he was at anfield and he was the closest thing to diego maradona i'd ever seen in a liverpool shirt not just because he was phenomenally talented but his absolute win at all costs mentality just 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 mirrored that of Maradona, and I still stand by that today. Uh, you're quite right, though. He does look like he's enjoying life a bit more now. Um, probably get 60 minutes for Port Sunlight Vets if he's if he's free after the World Cup. We'll, we'll get him down. We've got a we've got a, a new pavilion there in the middle of Leavers Field. But um, yeah, uh, it, it, that is a running theme though at this World Cup, though, isn't there? There's a lot of players, um, you know, household names, and you're thinking, blimey, is he still playing? It's all the way through all the sides, isn't there? Pepe, what's he? Nearly forty, uh, unbelievable. I think some of the after this World Cup, some of them really have got to say, look, time to give someone a bit younger a go, surely. Um, but yeah, I suppose they've managed to pack one uh, one last trip in on the plane. Yeah, I think I think it's it's going to be worth uh, Uruguay playing as well as in the first half anyway, just because. There'll be about nine yellow cards for the Ghanaian players because I think every time he goes anywhere near the ball, they're just going to want to chop his legs off. Um, so they'll be in a very precarious position in the second half. Well, a lot, a lot of these teams have left themselves too much to do late in games, haven't they? And we've seen some some high profile exits already. I don't know where it class Uruguay and that they're a sort of a middle team, really, aren't they? They sometimes don't play as well as the reputation sometimes suggests. I've I, I found in in tournaments but but still still normally manage to find a way through but i think if you can get yourself in a in you know in a good position in in these matches against some of these sides who, who are clearly banged up for it 
then uh, that, that gives you something to protect rather than chase. And in, in this circumstance, I think I'd rather be protecting a lead than chasing one. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a funny one, hasn't it, Matt? I mean, Germany going out. There was a moment last night when all that sort of football bingo started, um, when uh, when it was looking like Spain and Germany were going to be losing the group to uh, to Japan and Costa Rica. It was um, it's certainly making for a, a really interesting watch. It's great. It's nothing worse than watching a World Cup where all the ones you expect to go through go through. So Germany yet again don't get out the group stages. It is remarkable. Belgium were. We're, we're just, you know, arguing with each other, slagging each other off. It was just horrendous, wasn't it? It was just just a bit of a car crash being uh, unfolded, unfailed in front of our very eyes on TV. Um, let's look, talk about the, the, the influence that the that the, uh, the Liverpool players in England might be having because obviously Trent came on the other night against Wales, looked really calm, collected. And when you see him in that role and you know that, you know that Gareth Southgate is not, going to entertain him running into central midfield at any given time I don't think um, and he's going to be pretty much staying where he is in a much more disciplined role um, that's exactly how I like Trent uh, I like Trent to, I like Trent to, to deliver the quality that he, that he delivers but uh, but to just not go wandering around the field like a like a drunken farmer um, but uh, but uh, I mean you, you can't underestimate the the um, what Henderson's done Henderson came on um, against the, the uh, against the USA, and we've and whatever whatever kind of energy levels that England had left of that game because it was a terrible performance. But he just seems to instigate um, uh, a solidarity, doesn't he? He seems to get that team galvanised. And against Wales, I mean, he was. It was great to hear the commentators saying, "You can remarkable how much you can hear um, uh, Henderson just." Screaming, support, and shouting, and we, of course, as Liverpool fans, heard it during lockdown, didn't we? With the the closed stadiums, when when we could hear them all the way through a game, it was remarkable leadership and a leadership that shocked, certainly shocked me because I always knew he was a good leader. But he's just as next level, isn't he? And he's imperative for England now, isn't he? The way they're playing because Bellingham disappeared against the United States and then became a worldie again. Because they know he's got Henderson, they know they've got someone there who can do it, and and, and it was brilliant to watch, Matt. Yeah, he's he's fantastic, isn't he? I think I think that's that's the role really for him, isn't it? I think I'd, I'd be surprised if he started the game uh, against Senegal on Sunday. I think they'll probably go with with Rice and Bellingham and, and possibly bring Mason Mount in. But I think Jordan Henderson, if if they're going to go anywhere near winning the, the tournament, I think similar for, for Liverpool, really. I think that's that's what his role should have been this season because they should have got a midfielder in the summer, will be next season when they get a new midfielder in. I think it, it's that leadership. It's the, the kind of leading by example and telling people where they need to go and setting the uh, the tempo on the pitch. And he doesn't have to start every game. He doesn't have to, to start any game, in fact, for, for England from now to, to the rest of, of this tournament. But I do think he'll be you know important in, in coming on, providing a bit of fresh energy. If you get half an hour of, of Jordan Henderson rather than you know having to, to start him as Liverpool have so far this season. I think you get a much, much better version of, of him. I think he's he's much fresher. He's much more effective just at the age that he is now. He can't necessarily play you know 90 minutes four times in, in a couple of weeks. It's It's got to be a, a little bit more managed and a little bit more more sensible, really, with the, the use of him. I think you get much more out of, of him per minute. I think that's the, the best way to, to put it. And I think if, if Liverpool would have 
you know, gone out and, and got a midfielder like they should have done in the summer, we'd have we'd have seen the the benefit that, that England uh, I predict will have for, for the rest of of this tournament. How far they get, I don't know. I think if they they beat Senegal, they'll probably end up playing France, won't they? So I suspect they might go out at, at that point. But however far they go in this tournament, Jordan Henderson will, will be really important, and it's similar again, similar to, to Liverpool. Really, I think a lot of people don't really understand or appreciate what he does. I think if if you don't necessarily go and, and watch him in the stadium, maybe you don't see, you know, some of the, the runs and, and the, the, the bits that he does off the ball, which are really, really underrated. And I do think there's there's a general feeling maybe with, with some England fans that he shouldn't be in the team or he shouldn't be one of the, the first substitutes, but that's absolutely wrong. He's, he's proven that enough times in, in a Liverpool shirt and I'm sure that he will do for, for the next few few seasons, really. He's got a really important role to play, even if it's a slightly different role now to, to what maybe he would like. He'd probably like to, to start every match, but I think possibly being the, maybe the, the fourth choice at Liverpool in midfield, that gets the, the best out of him and obviously will mean that Liverpool have got a new midfielder in, whether that's Bellingham or somewhere else, we uh, we don't know yet. But um, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of a glimpse really of what you can get from Jordan Henderson. Use him off the bench, use him in that role, play to his strengths, you get a much, much better version of him. Poetry Emotion on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, if, if we're talking about our players, obviously, as I said earlier on Canate, we've got Nunez, uh, we've got a sprinkling of Liverpool players involved in in, in the uh, in the World Cup. Uh, currently, still 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 part of the action. When when the dust has settled, and when everyone's back. And we've got um, as full a strength squads as we as we can possibly muster. And no one, you know, touching wood and all kinds. No one comes out of the World Cup with a bad injury. I think Canate has been really, really solid for France, hasn't he? And we've got your Diaz's back and all that. Um, there is, you've mentioned it, Matt, there is the gaping hole in midfield that still has to be sorted out. We have a January transfer list. We have all kinds of, of names being mentioned. I, I, I read to my horror the other day, um, uh, the, the words Liverpool linked Mason Mount, um, which for all his qualities, I, I, I absolutely couldn't abide having a, a player like Mason Mount at Liverpool side. But um, we need that central midfield holding midfield player, don't we? And, and, and who has popped out to you then? Considering that Bellingham is the one we want, but if that happens, then that'll be fantastic. But this is part of the problem we're in at the moment, aren't we, as Liverpool fans, whether or not we have the ambition to get a player like that. But at 19 years of age, he's, he's he strides through the pitch like Gerard. He really does. He reminds me very, very much of someone who's who's grown up watching someone like Gerard and saying, I want to be like him when I grow up. We all did that, of course. But um, well, I never. I was I was his dad's age when he was a kid. Um, but um, we all we've all watched Bellingham. We all see what he's capable of. Outside of Bellingham, talking of that, you know, the the, the wonderful Liverpool way at times of saying, "Well, we found uh, a cheaper Bellingham." Um, who has caught your eye, guys? Uh, Player wise, not necessarily in the midfield position in general to get, but who would you think is? Um, is a shrewd investment someone Liverpool might be looking at at the moment in any of the kind of teams that, that, that you've looked at midfield-wise? You know, McAllister's a bright, isn't he, the, the, the Argentinian? Uh, there are lots of good midfielders there that we haven't seen before. Um, who's caught your eye? First, Richie, who's caught your eye to, to, that you think Liverpool should should kind of... Bear in mind, we've bought Salif Diaw off the back of a World Cup, so and El Hadjadjouf. So... Um, it's a tricky one, isn't it? But has anyone caught your eye, mate? And you've thought, you know what? He's slipping under the net a little bit. 
Uh, I wrote an article the other day actually about six or seven players Liverpool had signed off the back of a World Cup and there wasn't too many success stories. So uh, I'm a bit nervous about looking yeah. at who's on this World Cup pitch, even though it's the ideal sort of um, audition space, isn't it? You know what I mean? You can you get to see loads of players all at once and you think, wow, he's good or he's good. Um, it's difficult, isn't it? My kind of boring view uh, on this has been that at this current juncture, Liverpool could do a lot worse than going with a bit of tried and trusted Premier League experience, i.e. players who are already playing in the Premier League and have proven uh, that they can do it and that they've got the legs to do it and, and whatnot. Um, James Madison was a player who um, sneaked into this England squad at the last minute. And although I don't, see him as some sort of Jordan Henderson replacement. I do certainly think he's someone who could actually do a job for Liverpool, uh, even on a short-term basis, um, until we know exactly how rich we are um, further down the line and, and what sort of players you could be going for. Um, I've always liked Declan Rice. I think he would be good as well. But again, again that, that's not really a short-term. And, and the likelihood of them getting both Bellingham and Rice just seems a bit far-fetched to me, given that um, we signed uh, Artemilo on a free, uh, or on a loan, rather, uh, uh, in January, which kind of <laughs> kind of makes you wonder what sort of um, what sort of shop we're, we're you know, we're, we're, uh, we're browsing here. He, uh, saved he, he saved me in the Taco Bell the other week. He did? Artemilo. Well, I'm glad he's keeping well. That's he good to say. Himself a job in Kirby. That's what he wanted. Split shifts with Navi Cater, or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was he there to he bit his finger. <laughs> uh, the other, sorry, the, you mentioned McAllister Brighton. Who's the the other lad of Brighton? whose name? I say though. Yeah, uh, so I can't say it anyway. So I'm glad you did that. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I mean he he's he's looked like someone with legs. You know what I mean? This is what I keep going on about with Liverpool. We're lacking legs in midfield. Um, it's why I think some of the lesser teams have been able to compete with the Reds and get what would be perceived shock results because we just seem to be lacking the the, the, the ability to get around the pitch in the middle of the park and all of a sudden we're playing we're playing we're not playing a controlled game then are we so um, and he was linked with Liverpool at the start of the season wasn't he wasn't he and I think he's continued and, and looked quite good so it, yeah. If someone tried and trusted, so either either the player Matt mentioned uh, or or Madison would, would kind of be my my picks at this point. Well, you Matt, there's a guy who plays for Saudi Saudi Arabia called Carno Carno, and uh, he's brilliant in the centre mid. But you just don't know, do you? It's one of them signings where you get a player like that who was who was in, in, in the Saudi Arabia matches was really strong, really strong in the middle and getting forward and getting into the box and stuff. But then you think you just don't know. What he's going to do on a, on a on a wet Tuesday in Stoke? Do you? You know what I mean? It's it's one of those uh, it's one of those unknowns. So, uh, what about yourself, mate? Who 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 is who is uh, who is who is who do you think you've looked at and thought, you know what, these, these could go under the radar and we could get them? Yeah, there's there's a few options, isn't there? I mean, firstly, I, I'm a little bit more optimistic than you two are about Jude Bellingham. I don't see I don't see any reason why why that wouldn't happen. I think it'd be Liverpool or Real Madrid, and I think Liverpool will be bang in that conversation. I think there's there's a really, really good chance of, of that happening. And 
I think it will be one of, of those two. I know there's been Chelsea and City and a couple of others mentioned, but I think it's it's pretty much a, a Liverpool or a Real Madrid. And you know, don't don't count Liverpool out of, of that. But even if they do get him, they're gonna have to go and, and get somebody else. I think Alexis McAllister is, is one that I've liked all season for, for Brighton, not just at the World Cup, obviously, has done a couple of bits for, for Argentina. Declan Rice, though, would, would be the one for, for me. I think if if Liverpool can afford to, to go and get both, I think, you know, for, for somebody of, of his age, he mentioned earlier this week that he wants to go and play Champions League football. I think that's sort of a, a pretty big hint, really, that he's going to leave West Ham at some point next year, whether that's in January, whether that's you know, a little bit further down the line. We're not too sure, but he's one of those that I think is, is going to cost you a fair bit of money, probably a 60, 70 million. I mean, it's only few months since David Moyes was talking about 150 million which that was was uh, was never going to be realistic but I think it's it's one of those where Liverpool need need someone like him who can play as as that holding midfielder to to kind of help out Fabinho and, and try and get a bit more out of, of him because he's just looked absolutely shattered so far this season but he can also play a little bit further forward as well so I think he would be he'd be an absolute perfect buy and he would fit into to the way that Liverpool play so it's it's hard really to to think about sort of under the radar options. I think Liverpool are going to have to just go and and spend whatever money it takes. I mean, whether it's you know Caicedo or, or Alexis McAllister in Brighton, don't exactly let their the players go cheaply, do they? They've had to Chelsea had to pay what sixty two, sixty three million for Kukurea in the summer. You know, if they do sell one of those two midfielders, it's it's going to be a substantial amount. So yeah, Rice and, and Bellingham would be my ideal twenty twenty three, but. Uh, whether Liverpool quite can, can stretch to that. I suppose the, the biggest thing really is is the ownership, isn't it? We don't know quite when uh, when, when the, the sort of wheels are, are going to be properly in motion for that. If, you know, by the end of, of the season, there's there's new owners or there's new investors and the, the path of, of what Liverpool's future looks like is a bit clearer, then you know, it's, it's certainly possible in terms of, of attracting those players. It's just a case of can Liverpool go and, and spend 200 million in a year Probably they can do in terms of they haven't spent much this year, so it, it wouldn't really be be two hundred million in in two transfer windows, would it? It would be kind of spread a little bit more than than that. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll wait and see. But I don't know. We've we've kind of seen Liverpool go for the absolute best or no one at all. Whether they uh, whether they kind of will enter a little bit on that policy, we have to we just have to wait and see. And of course, just the availability in the January January transfer window as well, which is which is always tricky in itself, isn't it? And, and you know, one thing we have to remember as well is that when this World Cup's over, is that we will have a, I don't know how much of an involvement um, Fabinho is going to have in the in the Brazilian side. I don't, has he made any appearances yet? I don't think he's, I don't think he's come up to it. And and similar with Thiago. So so the fact of the matter is, we are going to have. Two of our midfielders, two of our most important midfielders, who are, who are pretty much well rested. Any kind of rest that Fabinho needed, which clearly he needed, I think he needed a fortnight in centre parks, didn't he? Because he he, he just uh, he was he was running up and down like one of them donkeys on Blackpool Beach. So he definitely definitely needed a bit of a rest. So uh, and there's no doubt he's not on the ale while he's over there. Um, so uh, it, it, hopefully we are getting. Players back who 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 we should have got back in in, in the kind of spirit they were in, in in the start of the season, so might not be that much of a of a problem when we first get back, uh, Rich. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much four nights in the Brazilian hotel it cost, but I imagine it'd be pretty much on par with centre parks, if not a little bit less. Yeah, yeah a little bit less probably. Yeah. Hopefully, they don't have to pay for any of the sporting activities, given that they are professional athletes. But you know, <laughs> we, we can ask yeah. for being with that. The archery is quite dear, but. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, but in all seriousness, that was the one thing we were saying at the start of this World Cup, wasn't it? Actually, some of these players could do with a rest, couldn't they? Um, this overworked midfield, which is getting pulled left, right and centre by young whippersnappers, some of which you've never heard of, but uh, are able to give Liverpool a game. It's a bit like my uh, six-a-side. A career, to be honest with you, playing against 20-year-olds, just getting grabbed <laughs> all over the pitch. So it's all up here, but uh, re- really, um, you know, becomes a point where you, you've got to try and uh, accept that the young, the young lads have got better legs on them. And so, yeah, the the the, the rest came at a good time for Liverpool, um, and not just in terms of the midfield and and the, and some of the other players or the ones that haven't been performing perhaps to their maximum, but just just to give the club a reset uh, and a focus. I think we pretty much agreed that their the pre-season wasn't the best. They were pretty undercooked, I think, despite despite leading us up the alley with that um, excellent Charity Shield performance. Um, they were a little bit under, undercooked and that, and that came to the fore pretty quickly. So, obviously, some of these players have been away on international duty, but... but Plenty of them have, have had limited involvement. I can only think of Virgil van Dijk, who, who, who would play every game. I'm struggling to think of another name at the moment. He's played every match. Um, but it, it, it gives it almost gives Liverpool a, a mini second pre-season and, and to just to try and realign what the goals are now and, and, and decide how they're going to tackle it. Because despite everything that's gone on, they're obviously still in four competitions, um, winning the leagues, but pretty much impossible. But but they'll have a, obviously the target of of qualifying for the Champions League, and then obviously they've got a, a, an actual the Champions League itself to come as well. And and I guess it's just just deciding what your priorities are and and, and making a plan for it. And then if they bring anyone into that into the equation to add to it, then that that will surely only strengthen strengthen the hand. So, you know, this season isn't over for Liverpool by, by, by any by any stretch. It's just not reaching the heights of the last one. But I suppose if you're in a chance of winning four major trophies with a week left of the entire season, uh, it's pretty difficult to hit those heights again. It just, you just Your expectations just get raised to a, a, an, un, an unmanageable level. Um, so it's probably, it's probably a good time for, for fans to be calm about the situation, except you can't be at the top of the tree every single season and, 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 and you know, realise that, yeah, we need to have a little bit of a reset and, and go again and let's see where it takes us. Yeah, absolutely. When we hit the ground running, aren't we? Is it... They've got Leon, haven't they? And Milan, I think, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think on, on next... We've got five games in December. We're in December now. We're watching <laughs> players in the World Cup. We're on the 2nd of December now. Liverpool played Lyon on the 11th of December. Uh, they then played Milan on the 16th of, of December. And then we've got Man City in the uh, League Cup on the 22nd of December. And then we've got Aston Villa on the 26th of December. And then we've got Leicester City away on the 30th. Uh, it's just a remarkable... The five matches in December with players coming home from a World Cup. So... You know, the least involvement we have in this tournament, the more of a break our players are going to have, really. That's, that, that's how we need to be looking at it. Getting them, obviously, they're, they're training, which is great. They're keeping themselves fit. And then we come back to a, 
to, to, to five matches in a month. So uh, uh, the madness begins again. So you've just got to hope, guys, haven't you, that, uh, you know, look, at the end of the day, for the likes of Trent and likes of Hendo, you want them to you want them to experience as much as they can in football, particularly Henderson for me. Uh, Trent's a young lad with a, a, a massive career still ahead of him. Um, I, I, I'd, I'd want Hendo to do as much as he possibly can on this England side because it's probably it's going to be the last opportunity he's got. Um, and that's where my loyalty lies, really. Um, and then it's just about getting the team back, boys, in it, and getting uh, and getting back on the roller coaster. Yeah, there's there's loads of time, isn't there, to, to sort of rest, recuperate for for lots of these Liverpool players, and you compare it to Manchester City and a few of the other teams that have got lots, lots more players than, than Liverpool have involved. Even you know, City now have got De Bruyne and uh, Ilkay Gundogan both out now. They'll both be back, and and we'll have a, a good few weeks. But Liverpool have, have known all along they only had. Was it seven players that I think that, that went of those seven? As Rich says, not many of them were, were going to ever play a, a big part. Be surprised, for example, if we see Trent again for, for England, however far they get. I think we might see a bit of Henderson, but it might just be uh, might might be the end of, of Trent's involvement from this point onwards. And even you know someone like Ibrahim Konate is, is in a similar position. You don't quite know what's going to happen, whether he's going to play or not when the uh, the, the knockout phase comes in. So, yeah, for, for Liverpool, it's it's definitely... It's definitely an advantage. It's just the, the question mark, really, of can the injury-prone players of the first half of the season do anything any differently off the, the back of these few weeks? Is is Naby Keita suddenly going to find a, a bit of a fitness? You can't really bank on it. Is Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain going to be in the, the same sort of situation? Even Curtis Jones has, has had injuries. There's, there's still a few question marks, but I would suspect that Liverpool will start the second portion of the season a lot, lot better than what they did with the first. All right, boys, that is it. I've got to go. I've got an all-you-need buffet and hooters um, to get to. Um, it's, uh, I can't believe there's a hooters. Um, hooters and Taco Bell, what are we coming to? What's um, it I haven't been yet, mate. Oh. The T-shirt hasn't come yet. Once again, squeeze <laughs> into that bad boy, I'll be there saving you. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> and with me old dad moves. Uh, listen, Richie, thanks very much, pal. Once again, always a pleasure talking to you. Uh, and uh, Matt as well. Thank you very much. At Matt Addison ninety seven and at Garnster are the um, Twitter uh, Twitter names for those two reprobates. And if you want to get in touch with them, only nice stuff though. Only say nice things, please. Thank you very much. I'm uh, at Fitzy Fella. Um, so let's just get through this World Cup. Enjoy it while it lasts. Uh, and no, you're not getting charged seventeen pound fifty for the glass of red wine while you're over there. Have a couple of cans, watch it on the telly, and then it's back to the business for the Reds. Hopefully. In a much fitter uh, and better situation on the pitch and uh, and off as well. Uh, this has been Poetry Emotion with me, Neil Fitz, and we'll catch you, uh, uh, Richard Garnster, and also uh, Matt Addison, and we will catch you on the next one. You've been listening to the Poetry Emotion podcast on the Blood Red Channel. <laughs>